Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Lord, whatever is going on, whatever spiritual warfare is happening, whatever we've brought in that we've elevated above your name, whatever concern we have with work, family, school, whatever weight we're carrying, Lord, we ask you to remove that. Whatever barrier there is that's keeping us from giving you our whole heart and attention right now, Jesus, we ask that you'd remove that. We remind ourselves that you are worthy of every ounce of our heart and attention at this moment. So we focus on you, Jesus. And as we open your word, Lord, would you send your word to change our hearts? Lord, we're here for you. We're here for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully that took care of it. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. And if you want to mark um, Luke chapter 9, that'd be great as well. We're going to start in Matthew 22, but we will eventually get to Luke chapter 9. And the title, as you can see this morning, is Love the Lord with All Your Everything, Part 1. And as I do, and you guys know this, what was intended to be one Sunday often turns into three or four Sundays, and that's exactly what's going to happen with this study. It'll be at least three weeks. Now, we're back in our series on the life and times of Jesus after our little break for Easter. Um, we're picking back up with that series, our chronological study of the Gospels. And if you remember where we were chronologically when we left off, we're in that four-day period between Palm Sunday and Good Friday, between the triumphal entry and the cross, where Jesus is daily going into the temple and he's teaching the people, and he's being tested by the religious leaders. So for this four-day period, Jesus is going up onto the Temple Mount. He's teaching the, just the, the average people that are there for that Passover. But there are these waves of religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, that have been coming to Jesus, and they're challenging him and testing him and tempting him. And all of this is to display, as Jesus answers each one of these well, all of this is to display that he is that perfect, unblemished lamb of God without fault before he becomes that Passover sacrifice for us. And if you remember back to these different challenges, he was first challenged on his authority. And then on a political issue of whether we're supposed to pay taxes to Caesar. And then last time when we left off on a theological issue of the reality of the resurrection. And that was the Sadducees that had come to him and challenged him on that. Today we pick up with a challenge from the Pharisees on the greatest commandment. And we're going to spend three weeks on one verse. Yes, we are. Verse 37, we're going to spend three weeks at least. Who knows? The Lord might extend it, at least on this one verse. But we'll read kind of a little chunk to get the context, beginning in Matthew 22, verse 34. And it says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Mark's gospel here adds with all your strength. Verse 38. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the whole of the law and the prophets. For the next three weeks, we're going to put our whole focus on verse 37 and trying to understand what this verse means and what it should look like in our lives. That you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I think that if you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard this verse, right? It's a pretty popular verse. It's in the Old Testament several times. Jesus quotes it on several different occasions. And I myself have quoted this verse in many, many different sermons. But but here's the question for us. Have you ever just sat down and thought about what this verse means? You ever taken the time to just sit and meditate on this verse? Consider what our lives should look like in light of this verse. To, To ask the question, do I really genuinely love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind and all my strength. Had a cough for a few days, so getting a little whatever. Well, in studying for this, I realized I'd never done that. I'd never just sat, taken this verse and thought about what does it mean to love the Lord with all my heart, (coughs) all my soul, all my mind and all my strength and consider what that would look like in my life. So in preparation for this morning, I did exactly that. And what I realized, and I'm sure most all of us would say this, is that I want to, right? I want to do that. I do love the Lord for sure. But Genuinely, I want to love him with all my everything, with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. But I had to admit, as I began to ponder this and and to meditate on this verse, is I'm not exactly sure what that means or, or what it entails or what that would look like in my life. What would my life look like if I loved the Lord with all my strength and all my mind? And I felt kind of like that father who had come to Jesus with his son to be healed. And Jesus said to him, if you believe, all things are possible for you. And it says there that immediately the boy's father cried out saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. I kind of felt that way as I pondered this verse going like, Lord, I love, but help me understand what that even looks like to love with all, all my heart, all my mind, all my strength, all my soul. Because I genuinely want to. And I got to tell you guys, man, as I, as I really sat there and thought about that, I felt so absolutely inadequate then to teach this verse. And a little bit nervous before the Lord. Because I didn't want to diminish or lessen in any way what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. 
Like somebody came to Jesus and said, hey, what's the greatest? Like there's 613 commandments. Just what's the best one? What's the biggest one, most important one? So a little nervous and, and not wanting before God to diminish that in any way. So you can see my struggle. And in an effort to understand what this verse means and what it should look like in my life, I came up with three things that this passage means for sure, right? It may mean a few other things, and I may not understand every facet of the verse, but I figured at least it means these three things for sure, and these will be our next three weeks. Today, for sure, for sure, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength means that he has to have first position in the whole of our lives, right? And that word whole is in there on purpose. We'll get to that in a minute. Number two, and it'll be next week, is that we have to have the highest view of God, right? That makes sense. If we're going to love him with all our everything, we have to have a lofty view of who he is and understand who he is, both of who of what he's done in his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness, which was demonstrated through the cross. But not only that, also who he is as absolutely holy. And I said first service that I believe that the greatest threat to the church today is not cults, it's not false religions, it's not atheists, And it's not even Satan. The greatest threat to the church today is a church with too low a view of God that have a lack of the sense of his holiness and majesty. So that'll be week two. I look forward to that one. And then week three, for sure to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength means that we follow him at his word. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we'll get to those over the next few weeks. But today, we have to say this. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength has to mean that he has first position in our lives, correct? That that he has the highest rank, the greatest importance. He is most valuable and our chief priority. For sure, it has to mean that. And as I began to start studying for this, what I did was I started to separate these things and study each one individually, its own each aspect separately. So I studied what does it mean to love the Lord with your heart and then with your soul and then separately with your mind and then separately with your strength. And I guess that's an okay approach. Nothing wrong with that. But what I realized as I began to study is I felt that the intention of the passage was not to separate these things, but rather to combine them. To, to combine them to encompass the whole of who we are. And that's how we got to this title. I, I think what it means when we're given this commandment is that we are to love the Lord with all our everything. Encompassing every ounce of our being, and don't miss this, and touching every area of our lives. Touching every area of our lives. And frankly, this goes against much of modern American Christianity today, which has become far too compartmentalized and far too consumerized. Compartmentalized and consumerized. 
And consumerized is a real word. Look it up. I get emails sometimes when I make up words. I didn't make that one up. It's a real word. Let's start with compartmentalized. Compartmentalized means that if we give God only segments or parts of our lives, but then there's other certain areas of our lives that we hold as off limits to God, right? So it it might look like this. We give God Sunday morning, but not Friday night. Or, Or we might set up church or tithe or something like that, but that one certain relationship we're in is off limits to him. Or we might be one person at Bible study and a completely different person with our buddies at work on Monday. Or we may speak to our wives and kids one way when we're at church, but the scene when we get home is vastly different. Or we allow God into certain areas of our lives, but he's not allowed into what we're looking at on the internet. You see, that's compartmentalized Christianity. But certainly, to love the Lord with all your everything means that it is to reach into every area of our lives, right? Not just part of it. Not to love the Lord with part of my heart. That's not acceptable. That's not the verse. That's not the greatest commandment. To, To love Him with part of my soul or part of my mind or part of my strength, part of my life, right? God is to have access and free reign in every area of my life. Someone said that every closet of our lives needs to be open for God's cleaning. And that's what this verse means. That's a a compartmentalized Christianity. So first off, we ask ourselves, do we have that going on? Is that us? Does God only exist in segments of our lives, but then there's these other areas that are withheld from him? Second is a consumer Christianity that says that Christianity and this whole church thing is all about me. That that doesn't square with love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength when we make it about us, yet it's rampant within the modern American church. The consumer mentality says of church and says of Christianity, what can you do for me? Serve me, entertain me, provide for me. You better have warm coffee and good parking and comfortable seating and songs that I like and programs that cater to me and sermons that entertain me. That's a long way from making God your number one priority. And it's a long way from anything that Jesus taught about the way that disciples were meant to be and to follow and to come to him, right? Those that wanted, and it's an important study to do, Those that wanted to come to Jesus, he wouldn't allow them to follow until sometimes ground rules were laid down and they understood the commitment that they were getting into. A good place to see this is in Luke chapter 9. So you can flip over to Luke chapter 9 if you have that marked. We'll begin in verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. A little drink of water here. It says, as they, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, 
permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And to another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to go and say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see what Jesus is doing there. Guys are saying, I want to follow you, but with the first guy comes to him and he says, I want to follow you, Jesus. And he even backs that up by saying, wherever you go, I'm in on this deal. But Jesus stops him and look at what he says. Foxes have dens that they live in, and birds have nests that they live in. But me, the Son of Man, the Messiah, I have no home and no place to lay my head. And before Jesus would allow this guy to follow, he had to let him know that this whole Christianity thing is not about you and your comfort and your convenience. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the head of this whole thing, and I don't have a home to go to. I don't have a place to lay my head because Jesus was doing what? Placing the whole of his energy and effort into the mission that the father had given him. And so Jesus just tells this guy straight up from the beginning, you want to follow me? Cool. But you got to count the cost and understand. Kind of dealing with that consumer mentality a bit, isn't he? Jesus would say elsewhere, if you wish to come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And then in Matthew chapter 10, he reiterates that by saying, and he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And the cross is what? An implement of death. Jesus is saying, if you're not going to die to yourself and be willing to lay yourself down for me, lay your life down for me, that's what he's saying. Don't bother coming right? He who doesn't take up his cross and follow me isn't worthy of me. If that's not you, don't even bother. To which Paul says, many years later, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And this is where we want to be. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That was the first guy. The second guy comes and he says, Jesus tells him to follow him. But he says, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. To which Jesus says, allow the dead to bury the dead. Meaning the spiritually dead to bury the physically dead. Allow the dead to bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. So when you read that, At first, it sounds like Jesus is kind of being mean to the guy, right? He's like, let me go bury my father. He's like, let the dead bury the dead. And it sounds like he's kind of being mean and won't allow him to attend his father's funeral, right? But that's not the issue here. The issue wasn't that his father was dead and Jesus wouldn't allow him to go to the funeral, but that the father had not died yet and that that this guy is making excuses on why he has to delay not giving the whole of his commitment to Christ. He's putting Jesus off by saying, now's not a good time for me. I'll come and follow you when it's more convenient. And the Jewish background for that 
when he says, Lord, permit me to go and bury my father, he's referencing a traditional burial rite of the Jewish people called the Kaddish prayer or the mourner's Kaddish. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day, as well as many Orthodox Jews today, still teach that that firstborn son must remain at home with his father or or there in close proximity to his father until his father passes away. And he'll then say this prayer over his father as he passes away. There's a prayer that's said as a baby is being born. This is a prayer that's being said as the father passes away. So he's saying, I got to stay around dad until I can say this prayer over him. And obviously the man believes something about Jesus because he refers to him as Lord, but he's making excuses as to why he cannot now give his full commitment at this time. Now, before we get down on this guy, we got to remember that we do this too, don't we? Right? We often know that the Lord's leading us something to something. He wants to take us deeper. He wants to take us further. He wants to engage us in some way. He wants to use us and work through us, whatever it is. For, for you, it's going to be something different than it is for me. Whatever it is, maybe it's he wants to send you out on the mission field, or maybe it's to get involved in some particular ministry around the church, or maybe it's that you would start some sort of a homeless outreach, or you're supposed to be discipling others, or involved in prayer meetings, or whatever it is, whatever your thing is, we know when God's putting that on our heart. And here's the thing, He's always putting something on our heart, isn't He? Because He always wants to take us deeper, doesn't He? But oftentimes, we make excuses, don't we? And we rationalize why what God has called us to do now doesn't fit in our schedule. And we often say, as I have, and I'm sure many of you have, I'll do it, I'll just get around to it later. I'll give you my full commitment. Think about what that sounds like to God. I'll give you my whole heart, but but I got things going on right now, so I'll do it later, right? Then what Jesus does is he he redirects the guy's attention in verse 60. He says, allow the spiritually dead to bury the physically dead. He says, but you go proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of God everywhere. He's saying that God and his kingdom is to take first priority. So this second guy who is making excuses lacks that commitment. We need to ask the question of ourselves that same thing, isn't it? What are we making excuses about that we know God has called us to? The third guy says he wants to follow Jesus. I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to go and say goodbye to those at home. But look at what Jesus says. He says, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, the guy appears to to believe at least something about Jesus, and he says that he wants to follow Jesus, but here's this guy's deal. He's distracted. And Jesus calls into question where this man's number one priority is. See, again, it kind of at first sounds like Jesus is being mean, and, and he's saying, no, you can't go home and say goodbye to your family at home, but that's not it. Jesus has insight into the man's heart and he wants to make sure that he's not following him with a divided heart or divided affections. 
or divided priorities but between whatever's at home and following Jesus. He says, you'll be like a guy that's trying to plow a field forward while you're looking backwards. Imagine how that's going to turn out, right? Try it on your way home. Try to drive your car and look out the back window. It's not, don't try it, please. <laughs> Why? Because it's not going to turn out well. Jesus said, it'll be like that. If you're trying to follow me going forward, yet there's something behind you that that is demanding your attention and you're distracted. And so Jesus is saying, you need to establish first what's most important, right? And his priorities had to be dealt with before Jesus would even allow him to follow. Because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve two masters. So the second guy, I'm sorry, the third guy was distracted. There were other things competing for that number one position in his heart. And what we recognize over and over throughout the Gospels is that Jesus is calling us to an all-in full commitment. We see it in another place in the Gospels with the rich young ruler of Matthew chapter 19. There's a young man that comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it says in the text, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I was thinking about that because Jesus loves us all, right? But there was something unique about this guy that it it had to be preserved in the Gospels, that there was some affection for this guy that Jesus had, that he loved this guy. He just looked at this guy and he goes, wow, I just love you, man. And he says, but we got a problem. There's something that will stand between me and you. There's a barrier that will always be there that has to be dealt with before you come and follow me. And and, and for that particular guy, it was money. For the other guy that we just talked about, it was the people at home, right? And for you, it might be something completely different. It might be people at home. It might be money. It might be something else. But he saw this barrier between, he says, here's what we're going to do. You go get rid of all that junk, give it to the poor and come and follow me. Deal with the barrier before you come and follow me. And here's what happened. The guy got sad and left. And you know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't run after him and say, wait, 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 we can compromise on the requirements to follow me. He didn't do that. In fact, what we've seen in the Gospels over and over again, what we see Jesus doing is standing before multitudes and telling them of the commitment that it takes to be one of his disciples and to follow him. Listen to this one. In Matthew chapter 10, this is a fun one. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's saying there's not to be a single thing in your life or a single relationship that you hold over me. Every other relationship should pale in comparison to your commitment to me. Jesus is literally saying there, if you love them more than you love me, don't come. That's heavy, right? heavy to which we say well, you don't know my son he's amazing right we're talking about the god of all creation he said don't even compare him to me now some of you guys are freaking out about that right now 
aren't you? You look a little squirmy on that one. But it's not a bad thing. Let me tell you why this is a good thing. When we put God in the first position over everything and everyone in our lives. You see, the purpose of this command is not to diminish or to lessen in any way any of your other relationships, but it's to make sure that they're all held in right priority. Because God knows that we can make idols out of so many things, including relationships. Now, let me give you two reasons why this is so very important and two reasons why this is not a negative thing, but it's a very, very good thing. When Jesus has his proper place in our lives, when we place our relationship with him as number one and we're tight with him and he is working through us, then we will be in the best possible place to have, to develop, to enjoy all these other relationships. You see what I'm saying there? When he's number one, we're in the best possible place because he's working on us and working in us. We're in the best possible place for those other relationships. It's not as if I give 100% of myself to God and then I have nothing else for other people. That's not how it works. It's actually the opposite of that. If I give 100% of myself to God, then he has the ability to mold me and make my character closer to him. And when my character is closer to him, I have a far greater capacity for love and patience and care and relationship with all other people. You see, it's not a negative in any way. It's just setting things into right priority. That's number one. Number two is this. When we have God in that first position in our lives, and our hope and our identity and our ultimate fulfillment is in Him, we need people less. Don't miss this. We're less needy. We need people less. And when we need people less, we are freer to love them more. See, don't miss this. When he is our ultimate fulfillment and our identity is in him, we need people less. And when we're less needy and we need people less, we are freer to love them more with a purer love. Because that love is not based on finding my fulfillment in that person anymore. But the more my hope and my identity and my fulfillment is in a person other than Jesus Christ, the more I will be disappointed when they let me down. And you will be let down. Because we're all flawed, we all fail, we're all sinners. And when our hope and our identity is in a sinner, they will let us down and we will be crushed. But God will never fail you. He will never leave you and he will never abandon you. And when you put all of your hope and all of your identity, and all of your fulfillment in Him, it then sets you free to love people through their faults and flaws. You're not crushed by their faults and flaws. You can love them through them because your identity doesn't hang on them. Your fulfillment and hope is not based in them. So for those reasons, this should never be viewed as a negative. When Jesus says, I am to be of number one priority in your life. It's actually a great thing 
because it makes all those other relationships all the more better. God knows best. He created us. He created everything that we've ever seen or known. He created it. He knows best. And this greatest commandment to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is not just because he's worthy. We're going to get into that next week. We're going to talk about the worthiness, the holiness, and the majesty of God next week. But on a practical level, it's also because he's protecting us. He knows how unhealthy and destructive it can be when our priorities are out of whack, when we have set up idols in our lives, when we've put our hope and our identity in lesser things. You see, what happens when we love with all our heart money or position or power? Or what happens when we put the whole of our hope or our identity or our fulfillment in sports that we're good at? Or we love with all our heart ourselves and our hope and our identity and our fulfillment is in our looks or our smarts or our talents or our skills or those things or a million other things, including other people. What happens when our hope and our identity and our fulfillment are in those things? We will be let down because all those things will fail us and and can be gone in an instant. If your hope's in money... It can be gone in an instant. If it's in position and power, you could be removed from that in an instant. If it's in a sport, if you put your whole life into that sport and your whole identity is in that, your health can be gone in an instant. When when you've put it in your looks and smarts and talent, it can all be gone in an instant. But Jesus will never fail us. He's never gone. And he's always there for us. He gave everything for us and proved that through the cross. And so that's a couple of practical reasons for that greatest commandment. Next week, we'll get into more of those. Why we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is based simply because he is worthy and what he has done and who he is. But for now and to close today, let's do this. For sure, to love the Lord with all your everything means that he has to take first position in the whole of our lives. Not a compartmentalized life, but the whole of our lives. So let's ask these three questions and we'll call it a day. Is Jesus what you desire over everything? Because he taught us in the scriptures that that's what's required. Is there anything that we hold above him? Is there anything that we would not give up to have him? Because if there is, that is an idol in your life. And if you guys remember, anytime we've ever done an altar call, anytime we've invited anybody to come to Christ, we use a very, very specific terminology, don't we? You guys know what it is? You are to what? Surrender your life to Christ. We don't ask Jesus into our heart here. You know why? Because he's not an add-on to your life. Jesus, come into my deal. Come into my heart. Make things better for me. Come, Come join my program. No. Everything we see in Scripture is that we are to surrender our life to Christ. He's not calling. 
to be an add-on in your life and he's not calling for you to be a part-timer. Everything that we've seen in the gospel is that Jesus requires the whole of our surrender. Amen? You guys sound real fired up about that. Lord, we come before you humbly now because we recognize there have been times in our lives and maybe right now where we have placed things above you. We repent of that, Lord. We repent of any time that we've ever held anything over you. If there's ever been anything that we've held on so tight that we would not give it up to have you. Lord, maybe we're the distracted guy in the story or the one seeking comfort or the one making excuses. Maybe we're in it for ourselves and it's a consumer thing or maybe we have compartmentalized our lives and we'll give you Sunday morning, but so much of the rest of it we keep for ourselves. Lord, we ask that right now you would reveal that to us. Because what we see of you in the scriptures, Lord, doesn't allow for that. You call us to a commitment with a whole heart. So we together as a church declare we are desperate for you. And as we go into a time of worship now, Lord, may we worship you for who you are and what you've done for us and renew our commitment to you and deal with the idols in our lives and the things that have taken priority and remind ourselves that you are to be in the first position in our lives and that sets everything else in its proper place. Lord, we ask you to speak now to us through your Holy Spirit. As we worship you, may we stand with arms lifted high in surrender, giving you everything that we have.